0: Please turn with me in our Bibles uh, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and this is found on page 1014 in the church Bibles. As mentioned uh, earlier, we have been looking at... uh, what we call the doctrines of grace. We've been thinking about um, uh, the problem of the human condition, sometimes described as uh, total depravity. We've looked at how God's grace really uh, goes from beginning to end uh, in the believer's life, that God, uh, before the foundation of the earth, chose uh, to save sinners. Uh, We think about God's grace in terms of what Christ accomplished That Jesus lays down his life for the sheep, uh, that they might have eternal life. Uh, That is what Jesus gives, uh, that they might uh, be saved. We thought about the work of the Spirit, uh, that it is a work of uh, God's uh, grace in their life. Um, No one can come unto the Father uh, except uh, through me. It is only by the work of God that one will be compelled, uh, for the Father will draw them unto himself. And this morning, uh, we want to come back and look at another aspect of God's grace. And it's really the the security uh, that accompanies the believer's life. Uh, Sometimes this is called the perseverance of the saints. And so we'll be looking at verses 4 and 5, but we want to read uh, from verse 1 down to verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was revealed to them that they were uh, serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Uh, The late Tim Keller uh, once asked the question, why should modern people feel more hopeless when arguably our lives are more comfortable and we are living longer than we ever have in human history. One of the facets that we find about our modern world is is that as people have shifted uh, from a focus on God, we're also noticing that there is an increasing uh, hopelessness uh, that characterizes the modern world. Um, And we see this in a number of different ways. There have been polls done uh, both in North America as well as in Europe that show a declining confidence about the future of the world, uh, a declining confidence about the future. And why is that? Why should we have less hope as we look forward? Why would we be less confident as we look ahead? But we see this growing trajectory, this growing trend of Hopelessness uh, characterizing uh, many people. We can look at it in many ways, though. Uh, you can look at things like suicide rates. And according to Statistics Canada, the second most common way in which people die in Canada is by suicide, but between the ages of 15 and 34. Why are young people ending their own lives? What's contributing to a sense of hopelessness? We could look at it in many uh, uh, ways, but as one person, Andrew Delbanco, points out, we are wired to be people of hope, that we can't live our lives simply passing from one event to another, simply focusing on satisfying our present desires. We are wired in such a way as that we are always looking ahead. We are, we are searching for meaning, but we're also searching to know what will be, what lies ahead. And so, inevitably, the human life is one in which we long for hope. Uh, we can't live without it. And the, the end is disastrous when hope is actually snuffed out. So if we are wired in such a way that we long for hope, if the lack of hope is disastrous, what is ultimately going to give us hope in this life? That's, uh, that's a question that every one of us has to answer with. What is actually giving and feeding hope into your life? And as we turn back to First uh, Peter this morning, we want to see that Peter's epistle is really an epistle. It's a letter about hope. It's a letter written to Christians in the first century, telling them about where they can have hope in a world where they have so much trial and affliction. We want to see, uh, as we turn uh, to First Peter, that the message of Jesus Christ not only shapes our view of the future, but it shapes and instills hope in the people of God. How would you describe hope? How would you define it? What is hope? Hope consists of two elements. Hope consists of desire and confidence. It consists of a longing and a certainty about the future. Those two things married together are what constitute hope. And as Peter is writing to Christians, he is telling them that they are to have hope. In fact, you see that there in the verses we were reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. People can put their hope, their desires, their longing. They can put their confidence in all kinds of things. The question is, is whether this is a reliable, a living hope or not. And here, Peter is writing about a living hope. Uh, that shapes the Christian life. And so this morning we want to look at uh, uh, the opening of 1 Peter and we want to see that because the gospel brings hope to sinners that we are to put our hope in the Lord Jesus. We are to live our lives shaped with hope and by hope. We want to think uh, about this idea of being born again to a living hope in three ways. We want to think about the basis for having hope. We want to think about The nature uh, of this hope that is being described. And then thirdly, we want to think about uh, the strength that this hope gives. First, uh, there is the basis uh, for the hope. Uh, Peter uh, anchors all of this in the mercy of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Everything is anchored in what God has already done. Uh, Peter, in other words, begins his letter by pointing out that the future is certain on the basis of what has already happened. Something has happened in the past. God has shown his mercy. God has shown his grace. And he has shown his grace and mercy in and through the coming of the Lord Jesus Remember how Peter addressed his recipients there in verse 2. We looked at this at the beginning of the year. According to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with his blood. Peter was highlighting that God's mercy has been shown and that Jesus has come into this world and has sacrificed his life. His, His blood has been sprinkled, as Isaiah would say about the Messiah. That through the sprinkling of his blood, many nations will be accounted righteous. And now Peter is addressing these uh, believers and he's saying, you have been sprinkled by the blood of the servant of the Lord. You have been made righteous through his sacrifice. His death covers your guilt. He dies in the place of sinners to pay the penalty of sin. So that you can be washed and be made right before God. But not only that, he says God's mercy has been shown in the giving of the Spirit. Because the Spirit consecrates, he sets apart sinners unto the Lord. They are devoted unto the Lord. As we were singing in the Psalms, those who are devoted to the Lord, those whom the Lord delights in, will be those who are characterized by a focus on God. And that's the work of the Spirit. And so Peter begins this letter by talking about the works that God has already been doing in the past. He has shown grace and mercy towards sinners. Those who have been characterized by rebellion, of resisting God, of being guilty before God. God has acted and has shown his mercy towards them. But the basis of this hope is also uh, anchored in the resurrection of Jesus. Again in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again through the work of the spirit to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter goes on to talk about how Christ's resurrection is part of the Christian hope. It's not just that certain things happened in the past, but those things that happened in the past have a spillover effect now into the present and the future. So that as you look at what Peter is doing here, he's anchoring everything in the works of God. And then he's stretching it out, saying the implications shape the present and the future. Edmund Clowney uh, makes a similar observation. He says, our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. Our hope also has a future. That will be completed. Jesus is coming. And you read through the first letter, first chapter of 1 Peter, and you see it in verses 5 and 7 and 13. Peter is showing how hope is woven into the Christian life. What God has done in the past shapes how we live in the present, which shapes the way that we view the future. Hope is a desire matched with certainty. The Christian has a basis for hope on the account of what God has done in the past and how the past work of God points forward to a future work of God. Christ's blood has been shed to take away sins. Christ has been raised by the power of God. And Christ will return to make all things right. That's the basis of the Christian hope. And so as we, as we start to think about hope, just uh, uh, on, a, on a, uh, a general level, you see how Christianity actually addresses the longings of the heart. We're all mortal creatures. Death is part of our story. That doesn't mean it's natural or neutral or something that we should just be indifferent towards. Death is an intrusion. Uh, It is something that strips us and uh, separates us from everything that we attach meaning to in this life. So death is something that we should look at with hostility. It It is ripping apart everything that we value. And yet, the answer is not to ignore death, but to be able to face death. And that is is really the struggle, because once we start contemplating death, it introduces a burden, It, it introduces a weight. How can I have hope about the future when death looms large? How can I have hope about the future when I don't know what the future holds for me? But here, Christianity is able to say there can still be hope because there is one who has triumphed over death. Jesus came into this world and pays the penalty of sin through his sacrifice. But Jesus was also raised from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection spells victory over death. That death is not the end. And that Jesus paves a way forward beyond death. And so the Christian message is one of hope. That can overcome even death. It has a way of looking at the future... That is based on God's works. It's not simply based on our own aspirations or our own longings. But it is, con- it is confident based on God himself. And so Peter can use this language. That we are blessed and God is to be praised. Because he has given a new, a living hope. That is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is reason to hope. And so if you're sitting here this morning as someone who feels hopeless, based on what you are facing, whether it's the uncertainty of the future or whether it's because of the present weightiness of your trials, there is reason that we can look for hope. But we should start by asking, what are your beliefs about the future? Because our beliefs about the future are going to shape the way that we live in the present. They're going to control how we live in the present. And so as you think about hope, begin by asking, what do I believe about the future? Because hope is married to an understanding of the future. Then we can ask the question, what has God done in Jesus that gives a living hope. So Paul, Peter here begins, blessed be God because he has done something merciful. He has shown his great mercy through the work of the Lord Jesus, through the work of the Spirit. But also we see God's, uh, the hope that God gives on the basis of the resurrection. If you're sitting here denying the existence of God, you have to see that literally you are severing the very connection to hope itself. You are really cutting yourself off from hope because it's only a supernatural being that can overcome the wrongs of this world. And it's only a supernatural being that can overcome death. And if you can't overcome those two things, there is no hope. We should be honest. There is either hope or there isn't. And the basis of that hope is on the grounds of things being corrected that are wrong. And of death being overcome. And Peter here says, that is done in and through the power of God. So there is the basis of hope. But there's also the nature of how he describes the Christian hope. And you notice here in verse 4 how he does that. He says that we have been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter uses an interesting word there. He uses the word inheritance. Now, we're all uh, familiar with the idea of an inheritance. It is to receive something. Someone uh, passes on something to us, and it is, it is a gift that is given to us. But an in inheritance, Peter uses that concept on purpose because it is a very rich concept for the Old Testament believer. You think about Abraham. You think about the people of Israel. They were given a great promise uh, from God. They were promised the earthly inheritance of the land of Canaan. That was the sign of God's blessing upon them. God had promised them the land of Canaan. But now Peter is using that concept of inheritance. And he's actually comparing the inheritance of what the believer had in the Old Testament. That earthly land of Canaan with the inheritance that the believer has In Christ. And he's accenting, we have a hope that is far greater. And he characterizes it as an inheritance in four ways. First, he describes it as an inheritance that is imperishable, that is, something that cannot be destroyed. Canaan could be destroyed, and it was. The land of Canaan was destroyed when the invaders came. The Babylonians literally destroyed their inheritance. Everything that they had attached meaning to was burned, destroyed before their very eyes. What was familiar to them was taken away. What they valued was stripped from them. It was destroyed. And and we can appreciate something of that even ourselves when we see things that we attach value to, things that we have cherished, things that we have uh, sacrificed for to be taken away from us. You think of how much of our lives we work and work and work to acquire wealth, to be able to, to provide for our own or to be able to enjoy the comforts of this life. And yet even things like wealth, our assets, can slip between our fingers Things can be destroyed. Inflation can depreciate our own valuation. We can lose the things that we had at one time. But Peter here talks about something that cannot be destroyed. It is uh, the work of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, uh, That is the gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus. That continues and cannot be destroyed. He describes that inheritance that gift of salvation, not only as something imperishable, but also as something undefiled. It cannot be spoiled. Maybe you've bought something at some point, something that when you buy it, you, you're you extremely careful with it. If you get a new car, even if it's only new to you, you may wash that car. You may even wax that car. You want to bring out the shine of that car. You want it to be protected. But a scratch can be devastating on a car. Something that we value can be spoiled by a mishap, by a mistake. We can ruin things even when we cherish them by being foolish or careless or something happens to us. And here Peter says... This inheritance, this gift of eternal life is something that's not only indestructible, it's something that cannot be defiled. It cannot be spoiled. Again, you go back to Canaan. The land of Canaan was a beautiful land. When they came into the land of Canaan, what were they told? You were coming into a land, to a land that has cisterns that you have not dug, into a land with orchards, with uh, with um, vineyards that you have not dug and planted, you are coming into a land that is rich and abundant in its blessings. You didn't do the work, but you were to enjoy this good gift. But what happened? The people ruined it. It says in Jeremiah chapter 2, Thus says the Lord, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. How did they ruin it? It was by their idolatry. By turning against God and living in sin. They, they actually polluted the land. They had made a mess. Of everything, even the good gifts of God, they had actually spoiled it all. And as a result, Canaan was something that they weren't going to be able to enjoy because of their own foolishness. But Peter says the heavenly, the eternal inheritance in Christ is something that cannot be spoiled. It's not something that we can make a mess of and ruin by our own foolishness, by our own carelessness. It is not something uh, that uh, will be uh, uh, contaminated. Those who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus are those who have an inheritance that will never spoil. He describes this inheritance in a third way. Not only is it imperishable, not only is it undefiled, but he says it's unfading. Think of the flowers, the beauty of the flowers. But the flowers here, and then its glory fades away quickly. You think about the excitement that we can have when a new cell phone, a new tablet comes out, new technology comes out. And then within a couple of years, its, it's glory has gone. No one's interested in it. But here, Peter is talking about an inheritance that does not fade away. Again, think about Canaan. The people come into this land that is fruitful and abundant. And yet, not only was it a land that would be destroyed, but it was a land that would, would be described as being parched, where drought would come over the land. That it would be a land that would fade from its former glory. It wouldn't be what it once was. You remember even in Haggai, when the people returned to the temple, when the temple was being rebuilt, people were weeping. It's not what it once was. The glory is faded. But here, Peter is talking about a glory, an inheritance that does not fade away. That with time, it does not go down in depreciation. And finally, he describes it as an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Uh, it continues to be there. It's reserved in heaven. But this reservation is also personal. It is for those who believe Whereas the land was taken away from the people on account of their idolatry, Christians live in a hope on the fact that their eternal inheritance is based on the power of God. So what is it that we treasure most in life? We have criteria here to think through it. We only have to ask ourselves, is what I treasure most in this life something that is indestructible? Something that is unfading? Something that is incorruptible? Is it something that endures forever? And if it's not, then I'm giving myself over to something that is ultimately going to disappoint. I'm giving myself over to something that is ultimately going to compromise hope itself. But ultimately I'm giving myself over to something that is going to be a night. Rather than to God Himself. And so Peter here is able to unpack hope. He's able to give us a description of why it is that we can hope in this. God's works in the past, the grace and mercy that He has shown in Jesus Christ, who has sprinkled us with uh, His blood. Those who believe in Him have their sins washed away. Through the resurrection of Jesus, this hope lives. But he's also able to characterize the wonder of this hope. That the good news of Jesus Christ brings security. Because it's not something that we can mess up. It's not something that will be taken from us. It's not something that will be destroyed. But it is something that is secure uh, above all else. And that leads us ultimately to seeing the strength of this hope. Again in verse 5 he says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Christians uh, have reason to praise God because this incomparable gift is protected. Not only is their inheritance kept uh, for us, but we're told by Peter that we are kept for our inheritance. It would provide very minimal comfort to say that there is this great Inheritance that is available, but to also be aware that we can mess it all up and fall short. But notice how Peter talks here. Peter not only talks about being born again to a living hope, he talks not only about how God has shown his grace and mercy to us. He's not only talking about what Christ has accomplished through his resurrection, but Peter moves beyond that and says, who by God's power are being guarded. That Peter pushes even beyond that, and it, he is accenting the fact that it is God's power that surrounds the believer. The same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power of God that surrounds the believer. The same power of God that caused a person to be born again to a living hope is the same power of God that sustains them in their new creation. When we start talking about the perseverance of the saints, we're not so much thinking only about the endurance of the believer, although that's part of it, but we're thinking about first and foremost the power of God. That God who has begun a good work in you will bring it about to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And if God is able to save sinners, he is able to secure their salvation as well. He will fulfill his purpose and nothing will undermine God's power. That's the comfort that Peter is talking about here. That the believer is guarded by God. And so they don't need to live in fear of the future or even of their own weakness, but rather they're to find their confidence in the God who is. They are guarded. Uh, they uh, they are being kept by the power of God. But He also uses that language of being by the power of God. They are being guarded. Uh, they are being protected. Maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't like technology. Maybe. Uh, Working on computers uh, can be intimidating because what happens if I hit the wrong keystroke and I delete that file? I lose that message that I was working on. And sometimes computers can be uh, a tricky thing because we can create all kinds of problems. But if you think of someone that is hesitant about using a computer because what happens if I mess it all up? What happens if I ruin things by hitting the wrong button? Imagine the comfort that would come to someone if a technician, a computer designer, someone who works on computers, perhaps someone who built the computer, sat beside them. They would would operate with a great deal of confidence because they know the technician won't let them delete certain things that shouldn't be deleted. They won't let them open certain emails that might have viruses in them. They will guide them through the process to protect them. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He's saying who by God's power are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is the confidence that comes uh, to, uh, to believers. The scriptures stress... That those who come to trust in the Lord Jesus will be guarded by the power of God unto salvation. And so if we trust in the Lord Jesus, you will not be lost. That is the promise of God's word. Jesus says, I have lost none. All that the Father gives to me will come to me and I will lose none of them. And it all comes back to the purpose and the power of God. And so there is a security that comes with the Christian life. The future is uncertain. My surroundings are changing. But this I know. That God is for me. The sign of God's favor is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The promises of God that all who believe in him will be saved. That doesn't mean that. The scriptures are ignoring the fact that some will turn away. The same Peter who wrote these words, who are being guarded by the power of God unto a salvation ready to be revealed. This same Peter who would also later say, there are some who have turned away from the commandments of our Lord and Savior. Peter recognized that there would be people who leave the visible church. But as other scriptures make plain, it is because they were never truly born again. They were not of us. The work of God will not be defeated. The power of God will prevail. The grace of God is from beginning to end. And it's united. That's what Peter and the apostles are teaching. And so as we think about hope, how can I have confidence about the future? Peter is saying there is a living hope based on the works of God. It's based on a certainty of the future because Christ who died has risen. And will return again. Jesus has risen. Jesus lives. And Jesus is coming. That's the Christian's hope. Why is all of this important? Peter says in verse 6. It's because it's the foundation of joy. In this you rejoice. Knowing that salvation is of God. Brings joy. Because it's all of God. But it's also important. Because of hope. We cannot live without hope. And so the question becomes where do you put your hope? We need to put our hope in God. Our hope in what God has done in Jesus Christ that we might have the future shaping the way that I live in the present. You read through the New Testament and you see how often the New Testament talks about hope. It's vital for life. Hebrews writes, "We desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end." You can't live without hope. 1 John says, "Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when we when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is." And then listen, And everyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope. Do you have hope this morning? Where is that hope anchored? Is it in something indestructible, incorruptible, unfading, and something that is eternal? That's only going to point you to God's work of salvation. God's salvation in Jesus Christ. The gospel provides us with hope because God has shown his mercy in Christ and we can live knowing the cleansing from sin and the gift of eternal life in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, your word, but also as we live in this world where there are so many things that are uncertain to us, so many things that can weigh us down, whether it is the issues of the present or the uncertainties of the future, we pray, Lord, that we would be anchored in the works of God, knowing that you have shown grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, and that through the resurrection and through the working of the Spirit, there is a living hope. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to respond to your works, to be able to live in light of the future, and to be people who face the, uh, the present in faith. Go before us now, in Jesus' name. Amen.